Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David, we spent all of last week talking about the uh, uh, the DACA kids in Georgia and our fight for um, in-state tuition. And unfortunately, on Friday, the Court of Appeals granted the Board of Regents' uh, request uh, for supersedious, which basically means they're staying the effectiveness of the judge's order until the appeal can be heard. So no in-state tuition this semester for these kids. Another heartbreaking setback for an un- really unnecessary setback uh, to deprive kids of their education. I, to this day, I cannot believe that people who are dedicated to educating our youth don't want to educate our youth and want to punish them for nothing. I, I just don't get it. Did you really see this coming? Uh, I suspected that the stay would probably be put into place, but I, as as I said earlier, I am uh, I am uh, tragically an optimist, and I tend to overestimate the positive and underestimate the negative. Um, interestingly, the reason the board, the court of appeals gave for granting the supersedious for granting the stay is really legally quite interesting, um, and I actually don't agree with it, but I understand why they did it. There was a court case uh, about two years ago called uh, uh, that the Supreme Court of Georgia heard called the City of Doraville versus Cooper, and I think it involved Cooper getting a liquor license or something like that. It was a mandamus case, and Cooper won. He got the, he got his liquor license ordered by the Superior Court. City of Doraville appealed, uh, but did not ask for a stay, and the Georgia Supreme Court said for the first time. If you don't ask for a stay and don't get a stay on a mandamus, there is no appeal. It's like, really? That's odd. But that apparently is the law in Georgia, according to the Supreme Court. I don't think the case says that. But the government, the Board of Regents Council believed that that's what it said. Uh, And clearly the Court of Appeals believed that that's what that case said. So they said, well, in order to avoid um, uh, this order becoming final without a review by an appellate court, we're going to grant the stay based upon the Cooper case. And i I got to tell you, I was um, disappointed. And, and again, I don't, I don't agree with, with the reading of that case like that, but it is what it is at this point, and now we have a stay in place. Now, we are asking the Court of Appeals to uh, expedite the review of this case. Um, we'd like to get it done before the semester is over. So that if we win, we want these kids, and I hope, you know, again, optimistically, I believe we will, uh, it will get these kids back in school for the summer semester paying in-state tuition. That is, of course, if DACA still exists. Uh, this, this, um, this lawsuit hinges entirely on the uh, Secretary Napolitano's policy memo as the head of DHS, Homeland Security, uh, in June of 2012. Uh, which both creates uh, an expansion of the existing deferred action program for for a targeted group of people called deferred action for childhood arrival. So deferred action has existed since 1952, since the creation of the Immigration Nationality Act uh, by Congress, and this is simply a uh, a specification of that program by Homeland Security. I mean, basically, they're prioritizing who they're going to deport. They're allowed to do that. That's why this case never. That's why it's never been stopped in federal court. Because uh, it's perfectly within within the rights of the agency to do that, um, but the other reason we won this case is because 
DHS in their what they call FAQs, frequently asked questions. It's, the, by the way, the new preferred method of rulemaking by the federal government. Instead of actually going through the APA, they just issue FAQs, and that becomes guiding policy. Frequently asked, asked questions. questions. I swear to God, David, it's all over immigration. It's all over immigration. And that's supposed to represent what? It's their policy positions. David, I'm sure this is happening in other agencies. I'm just not familiar with it. I can't imagine it's not helping, not happening. I mean, I know you're very familiar with the ACA. Um, I can't imagine it's not all over the ACA, the FAQs. It certainly is within DHS. Their FAQs are policy statements that that never go through the APA. They never become regulations. Um, And it is in one of those FAQs where they specifically state that DACA kids have lawful presence. Now, if the Trump administration during the pendency of this appeal, either ends DACA through presumably another policy memo from uh, from the new DHS secretary, which I believe is General Kelly, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Um, and, or, and or changes the FAQs such that there, uh, there are no uh, uh, FAQs that say that DACA kids have lawful presence, um, if that if either one of those happens, then our case is over. We we literally have no case. Our case hinges entirely on the FAQ and on the uh, uh, and on the uh, policy memo, the, the, the directional memo from DHS. You're still flabbergasted by the FAQs, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you hadn't heard this before, David. I thought I'd mentioned it. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Department of Labor does the same thing. It's beyond crazy. Oh no, that, David. That, it's it's that it's. That doesn't it, say that you've got. A yellow and purple shirt on. You know, I mean, it says nothing. No. It says nothing. It's meaningless as far as the effectiveness in court, but it's how they do the rule. It's what we're bound by as far as those that advocate in front of the agency because the agency follows it. I walk into your office and you say, well, let me find the FAQ that applies to your situation. Yes. There are are literally hundreds of FAQs and policy memos and minutes from meetings and handbooks. What do you stand on? David, that's that's the problem. So we have to go to federal court. Now, you know what the problem is, is this case called Chevron. Are you familiar with the Chevron case? Uh, The Republican Congress is trying to pass a law that eliminates this Supreme Court decision. It's actually probably the most damaging Supreme Court decision in recent memory, much more damaging than, than the uh, tax issue in, in the ATA case. Chevron is what's called Chevron deference. Basically, it said, we're going to give deference to the agencies that interpret these laws. So if they say, you know, the law says X, but the agency says, well, X really means Y, you know, they're the experts, so X means Y. That's what the courts are going to do. That's called Chevron. It came out of the case called Chevron, uh, Chevron deference. And it's nightmarish. What it's done is empowered the executive branch to create FAQs, policies, handbooks, I, I, uh, not where's, following where's, the APA. Where's Congress in this? I thought they're the ones that... Well, exactly. That, well, that's why somebody in Congress is finally waking up and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. If you want to interpret a law, you have to pass a rule, go through the rulemaking process of the APA. Congress, for the last 16 years, David has allowed, and really somewhat in the, in, the, in the Clinton administration, but not as much as the Bush and the Obama administration, have let the agencies because of the Chevron case. And again, there is a bill pending in Congress right now to eliminate um, uh, that Supreme Court decision, Chevron deference, 
which they can do. I mean, Congress can eliminate that because, I mean, all Chevron says is, well, if Congress hasn't passed any rules about this, then we're going to leave it up to the agencies to interpret. And if the agencies interpret it, yeah, however they interpret it, it's just fine by us. Okay, you just said something very interesting or, that I heard. Yeah. If Congress hadn't passed any rules, they don't pass rules. They well, pass they pass laws. laws but, okay, but what, I'm, what, what I mean by that is and law. if Congress hasn't told an agency how to interpret something, then it's up to the agency. And Congress said, you know, go ahead. You interpret how you want, and, and we will give you deference. Because the opposite of deference is, no, no, we're going to look at it ourselves, right? So if a case gets in front of a court and the court goes, well, there's an immigration uh, policy memo on this. Well, Chevron says i got to give it deference. And, yeah, okay, I guess you could see why you'd interpret it that way. Whereas if that case didn't exist and there wasn't Chevron, they go, I don't care what you say. I don't care how you interpret the rule. That does, that does not make sense in the plain language of the rule. No, denied. Overturning that, that policy. I, I thought we were supposed to live in a land of black and white. Oh, David, we, we don't live in a land of black and white. We, we live, we live in a very gray country. Very gray country. And the Constitution, unfortunately, written 240 years ago. 40, is it this year? 287, 17, between the 30 years ago. Um, did I get my math right? Uh, uh, unfortunately, didn't didn't anticipate a lot of this stuff, and so you have to, as you know, you have to read between some of the lines of the Constitution. Um, I'm not saying you have to create new stuff out of the Constitution. But there ain't no frequently asked questions. No, there are no FAQs in the Constitution. Exactly right. Although we do have the Federalist Papers, which do guide us in the interpretation of it. But the Federalist Papers are in the way of regulations. You know, policy mem, but but not policy memos. Say, here's what I think it means. Um, so I think uh, so when I go back to, I talk about these Dreamer kids, these DACA kids. Uh, oh, this week, uh, or at least by Monday, I heard today that uh, Friday is not a work day for the president. Uh, so the, the, his they consider his first day in office oh, is he's Monday. Partying. Yeah. He doesn't drink or, or or smoke or do drugs or anything. I don't know what he's partying. I don't know what he's doing other than you know. I don't want to say anything on on air, but it's. Uh, so his first day of work is Monday. So I don't know what's going to happen on Monday as far as DACA is concerned, as far as these FAQs are concerned. But it concerns me that now that we have stopped for this semester the effectiveness of this uh, of the judge's decision, we, in fact, may never see this decision impacted. We may never see it. And that's that's truly sad. And I feel terrible for these kids terrible for these kids. They were so excited. They were gearing up to go back to school. They were getting their money saved. They, they paid ready to pay tuition. And literally Friday at, f- at 4 o'clock, the last day possible, the AP Court of Appeals said, no, we're going to stop this case. It's, it's sad. It's sad. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed for them. But uh, we will not give up fighting. We will keep fighting. We're not going to end our fight for this. So uh, we will – I have are, to – Are there any other states following – Oh, there are, if I'm not mistaken, there are 23 states that grant in-state tuition to DACA students. Some Republican. Uh, There are 27 states that don't automatically do it. There's one state that bars them from going to any public schools, and that's South Carolina. Um, And... uh, but even Alabama lets them pay out-of-state tuition. So, I mean, there's there are other states that do it. Georgia does. Georgia's just very specific about it. Out-of-state. Alabama makes them pay out-of-state tuition. But South Carolina technically doesn't even let them go to school there, even to state schools, which is, again, really just stupid. It's so short-sighted because there's no the, – what is the poli- – look at the policy of this. What is the p- policy reason for doing this? 
it's not because they don't pay taxes, because they do pay taxes. They have work cards, right? So they're paying taxes. They physically meet the requirements of living in the state for the requisite period of time. They meet the requirements of having graduated from school in the state. So they meet every other card. So what is the reason to deny them tuition? There can only be one reason at that point, and that's punishment. We're going to punish you for the sins of your fathers. Uh, I mean, I, I've heard people say, well, they should fix their status. You, you can't fix this. This is, un, without a law change, it's unfixable. Um, so it's tragic uh, that state lawmakers, board of want to punish children for what their parents decided for them in their kids' own best interest. Um, and really contrary to what their own siblings, here's the, here's the truly ironic part, David. Many of these kids have siblings who were born here. They might be the oldest kid in the family. So while, it, while their younger brothers can get an education, they're deprived of the right to get it in, in, in a timely fashion or to get it at all. It really is nuts. It, it just makes no sense other than in the context of punishment. And I, I don't know why you want to punish kids. I just don't understand wh- how or why punishing kids is a good idea. It's a good idea. You know what's really interesting is uh, what I found is the political reaction to the decision was, except for one guy, absent. It was absent. You didn't hear the governor coming out and say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. You didn't, you didn't hear Casey Cagle come out and tell the governor, like, we've got to stop this. You didn't hear the Speaker of the House say, oh, my gosh, we've got to overturn. No. Complete silence. Why? Because they all want it, too. They just want the backup of the court saying you've got to do this. They're lacking political. If they had the political courage to do this, we wouldn't need to file a lawsuit. We wouldn't need a lawsuit. And yet here they are just all quiet. Not going to say anything. Yeah, you know, wink, I might wink, not get uh, reelected if I say. Yeah, so. I might get exactly, which is not true. Of course, nobody's not going to get reelected on this point. So at the end of the day, you know, we're stifled for a minute, but we will keep fighting. And if if uh, the president elect or soon to be president uh, uh, does not eliminate DACA and, and does not change the FAQs, then we will keep fighting. But let's take a break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano o tiene problemas con inmigración o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, Or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Wave Radio. So, David, we talked a little bit about the kids and DACA. 
I want to talk about the Obama administration and um, their legacy on immigration. Um, He's wonderful. If it wasn't for Obama, we wouldn't have this wonderful world. We're all green. We... We, kumbaya, my lord, kumbaya. better than he ever imagined. Sing with me, David. Come on, sing with me. Um, there is a, something you should be watching tonight, by the way, or record it on PBS tonight, on Frontline. It's a, it's a two-day miniseries, two hours tonight, two hours tomorrow night, on the basically what are the failures of the Obama administration. Now, you wouldn't expect to see this on PBS, right? But apparently it's going to be very hard-hitting on Obama personally. Uh, and uh, the what, what, the failures and we there's a great word in Spanish that really doesn't translate accurately in English called fallos, which means failures but not really failures as you would you know you're a failure. It's like faults or or mistakes kind of all rolled into one fallos. You know, and, and when he was elected, and you know I was against him from the get go, but I stepped back, and as many did, I had a lot of friends do the exact same thing that I did. Step back. He's our president. Oh my God! Chances are he'll be our president for the next eight years. Let's see. What we, let's see what happens. Let's. let's but, you know, no. Worse than that, I said, okay, he's our president. If he's anything of what he has been saying politically, mm-hmm. he. Could be the best thing that ever. Happened it could be trans. The, it could be transformative. Yeah, and he could be the best thing that ever happened to the U.S. He can bring us together like no one else could. Mm-hmm. If if his rhetoric and, held up, right? I agree. You know, it's a, my way of thinking. Your word. Does, yeah. He failed, and he failed across. Remember this word, fail. Fail. F a l l o, like Yama. Fail. Um. And uh, what's interesting about – I just saw a brief preview of, the, of this. But one thing I did not know is the night of the inauguration, a whole bunch of Republican leadership got together in a steakhouse on Capitol Hill or something and developed their plan about how they would oppose Obama that very night. And uh, But it was like secret, like double top secret. Obama had not heard about that meeting for two years, and he couldn't figure out why he couldn't get any of his agenda through. But what he had done, in much the same way that I think that I think Trump has done, is he did not effectively use the the period between his election and his inauguration to bring people together. I mean, I, hopefully, both Obama and Trump provide a lesson for the next president it, during those seventy-one or seventy-two days that you have to get your administration ready. You should not be hyper-partisan. Hyper-partisanship serves no one during that. And, 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 and think about well, this. Does that also include thin skin? No, well, they bo- well, it includes both of them. I mean, both of them have th- thinner skin than anybody I know. Um, I mean, really think about it. I mean, at least Obama didn't have his own Twitter account at the time. I mean, you can, you can Trump is translucent, his skin. Other than his face, which is mostly mostly orange, but translucent skin. Um, really, the next president should learn this lesson and go, okay, you know what? Let's bring the Dems in. Let's bring. Let's just say, okay, what can we do together? Okay, before I'm president, what can we do right away and work on? And I think David, I'm going to record these two hours. I'm going to watch this. I think this because they, they interview everybody, and I think it's going to be absolutely a fascinating. Uh, uh, um, 
um, oral history. Well, I'll, I'll be it. And so, but I want to talk about Obama in the context of immigration and what his legacy will be. Uh, we've talked many times on this show that, um, including David, I think we were were we on air. We were on air when Obama was elected. I, if I, you and I, and we just because this podcast has been around for a very long time, and you can download those. Those are all on iTunes still, right? I mean, all the old ones are all on iTunes. Um, as well, do you keep them all on the website or do you purge them off? So iTunes has all the old ones. So if you want to listen to what we thought of Obama back in the day, you can go back and compare us to that. Um, but you know, there was great hope there, right? Because he was all about hope and change and believe in me. And I, I think you I, and I disagreed as well. We did, but you were willing to give him a chance. I, I was willing to give him a chance. A lot of us bought into that whole, mostly because we couldn't believe John McCain picked Sarah Palin as a vice president. You know, so you know, if he'd have picked you know Mitt Romney as a vice president, you know, not that he would have won, but it would have been a lot closer race. Um, so you've got a situation where we believed that Obama was going to do stuff. And he had made very specific promises on immigration to the immigrant communities in the United States, which is a time numbered in the neighborhood of around 11.5 to 12 million people, more or less. We were also entering into a nightmarish, hellish depression, for want of a better description, at the same time. And so, as, as is true with every economic downturn, people blame the immigrants, blame the new people. It's your fault we're into this. So Obama could have used his platform to say, you know, here's how we're going to move forward on the economy. Here's how we're going to move forward on immigration. But he said, no, we're, we're going to take the most divisive issue of the – because immigration, while divisive, wasn't going to tear the country apart. Okay? Economic – help wasn't going to tear the country apart. But there was one thing virtually certain to tear the country apart, and that would be the Affordable Care Act. When you when you literally refuse to negotiate, and I'm going to put the blame on both parties here, they both refuse to negotiate on Obamacare, which is really the Affordable Care Act. Um, and thus, you lost Republicans for eight years. Now, people, well, it's Republicans' fault. Well, you know, it's Obama carries a lot of the blame here. And so Obama, I remember this because I was, uh, I was still uh, the uh, president, uh, uh, the outgoing president. I had just finished my term as president, and I was the immediate past president of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. And uh, it was um, a tragic time. For us, because we were told all during that campaign, we were very, I mean, a lot of immigration lawyers are Democrats. I'm not, but a lot of them are. Uh, and they were all told, you were with us, we got immigration from one of the very first things we're going to do. And then in February of 2009, Rahm Emanuel came out and said, we will not touch immigration until the first year of the second term. Period. And he lost a lot of immigration lawyers at that point. That, that loyally followed him, that would walk through hell and high water for him, he lost them. And, and then Obama came up with this, and again, I think Rahm Emanuel was a, was a strategist behind this, we've got to get Republicans on our side over the next four years, so how do we convince Republicans that we're serious about immigration reform? We will engage in wholesale deportations. We will, we will deport Everybody that comes into the system 
as fast as we possibly can. And 09, 10, 11, and 12, Obama deported, on average, 400,000 people a year each of those years. That was really, in many ways, the maximum he could deport given the financial and uh, economic and personnel limitations of Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So he maxed out ICE, and he got not a single Republican to support him on immigration. And in fact, what was from those of us on the inside of the system, what was tragically hilarious is the, 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 the idea, the rhetoric that began to take root that Obama is not enforcing immigration laws, when in fact there was no president since Eisenhower that deported more people in such a short period of time as Barack Obama. A scenario. I've looked at Obama, and I would say he was and is a bigger failure than Carter. However, with that being said, they're very similar. Carter went into Washington totally, totally as a duck out of water. Oh, and, he was wholly unprepared. And I, now, think, I was in high school when that happens. I'm not completely familiar with Carter, but he was clearly, in retrospect, very unprepared. Yeah, and I think... But he was no idiot either. I mean, the dude was a nuclear scientist. I he know, under, I, mean, I he, know. And, yeah. and I met him once, and he remembered me. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, yeah. that was spooky. Yeah, I he's a very a, smart man. Oh, yeah. yeah. And married to a bitch. But other than that, uh, pardon me. Uh, anyway, I look at both of them, I, and I don't think... Obama was any more prepared as a community, even though he'd been a senator of sorts. He wasn't prepared to take I he, he just like he, you said, he found out two years later that they'd had a meeting. Okay, well, he wasn't he wasn't about to meet anybody forty five percent of the way, much less. No, his way was like, now. One the difference between him and Carter is Carter solicited opinions. He would frequently say, "Well, I don't know the answer to that question. We'll get an answer." But he couldn't make up his mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, he couldn't I make decisions fast enough. Obama's problem is he made decisions too fast. Based on on his yeah. own his own counsel, he relied on his own counsel. The idea that you were going to convince Republicans to join you in immigration reform by deporting as many people as possible from the U.S., regardless of their criminal or other histories, was ludicrous. It was a ludicrous position to take. And the thing is. You know, what is the definition of insane, doing the same thing over and over again, thinking he's going to do for those? He continued that policy through 2014. And not just on immigration. No, in a lot of other issues. Now, we talk about the legacy of Obama. Well, Obama gave us DACA. Why did he give us DACA? Out of the goodness of his heart? Because he thought it was a good policy position? Absolutely not. In fact, as you recall, Obama frequently said, there is nothing I can do. I'm just the president. I can't change the laws, which was then thrown back in his face by judges and the government council. It's legally wrong when he says that. He has lots of authority to do lots of things like deferred action. But where did DACA come from? Now, this was the year in 2012 that the immigration lawyers had our meeting, annual meeting in June, uh, that week, June 12th, in Nashville. And I remember that our scheduled speaker at our plenary opening session was scheduled to be the head of USCIS. And two days before the conference, we got a memo. 
He will not be able to come. There's issues going on. What's happening? Here's what we knew in June of 2012 was happening across the country. Dreamers, these kids who would ultimately get beneficiary of DACA, were organizing in a way as Martin Luther King. They were doing sit-ins and marching. And where were they doing sit-ins and marchings? Against Republicans? No. At Obama's re-election headquarters. All over the country. They were literally shutting down Obama's re-election campaign by doing sit-ins in his offices. So he had no choice. They forced him to create, in a literally a week, DACA. In reaction to that. That's not leadership. That's reactionism. Let's take a break here on the Immigration Hour as we discuss more of Obama's legacy on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Liberty. David, are we still the most listened to podcast on immigration in the known universe? You know, I've been so busy painting Trump signs that I really... (laughs) I really am a check, but I, I would say if we're not number one, we're number one plus. Oh, is it? So we're one of those two, either one or one plus. Yeah. Well, that's good enough for me. It's good enough for me. We do thank a lot. Let me occasionally hear from you guys. If you have any questions or comments, or you'd love to be on the show, David and I love guests. We love talking about immigration issues. Just email me at ccook at immigration.net or david at david at dot com. You know, Charles, I, I'm sitting here and I, I'm, and it's not good for me, but. That freak, that FAQ, that just—it's still eating you up, isn't it? It is, and and this is not—it's not just Obama. I mean, understand I, I, no, this I'm is not, this, this, this goes is, this goes back to the the Bush administration. But this this is this falls some nasty place under used car salesman and executive order. You know what this is? This is actually Congress's fault. A Congress's gridlock has emboldened the executive branch to do things they should not be able to do, including not following the APA. Now, I will tell you at the same time, David, I think as advocates within the system, we have also fallen down. 
we should be suing the government for having FAQs instead of publishing regulations. You know, this is... And I can't imagine, David, it's only the Department of Labor and Department of Homeland Security. There's got to be other departments doing this. Hey, it's good for them. I'll do it over here. I can't imagine it's not happening at the EPA and not happening at the the HHS and not happening at the the, the, the Department of Veterans Affairs. It's got to be happening there. You know, there was a time that I could sit here and boil at our Congress and boil at different branches of the administration, uh, whatever, from Secretary of State up and down the gambit. But where, and and I don't know how to handle it. I can't handle it, quite frankly. And at my age, I think, I don't want to say I've given up, but I don't know that there's a You pass the mantle to a younger generation. Well, yeah, and, but that knows less about it than I do. Yeah, well, that's a problem. And thank you, thank you to the schools. Pardon? Thank you to the schools. Yeah, and you know, so what they're going to elect is people like we've had the last ten years in Congress, fifteen years, whatever, doesn't matter. That have been, you know, like John Lewis and they, you know, they have trouble spelling their own name. Now, David, have you have, have you have you us. walked the corridors of Congress and talked to these people? I have walked. The corridors, but mm-hmm. I have not talked. To okay, them. so every year I go to Washington D.C. Uh, <laughs> Who are you? Are you sure you got a pass to be? And well, actually, you, that's actually the beauty of the Congress. Anybody can walk in there as long as you don't have a you know anything on you as you walk through metal detectors. Uh, and I have met with dozens and dozens. I mean, I've testified in Congress before committees in the Senate and the House. I met these men and women, and individually, they really. I don't think they really understand the power they have on one hand, and they overestimate the power they have on the other. And what I mean by that, they they think they're immune from our laws, but they don't think they can do enough to fix the lives of you and I, to help us have a better lives. Uh, because if they really believe that, David, we would actually have better lives. I mean, we are the product the, the, the economically, socially, of the laws passed by Congress. And, you know, there's only so many post offices you can name when you don't work on health care that, that impacts everybody affirmatively, when you don't work on an immigration system that impacts everybody affirmatively, when you don't work on a VA system that impacts everybody affirmatively. I mean, when you abandon responsibility, as our Congress has on so many issues, uh, and give that to the executive branch, you are now giving to unelected bureaucrats control over over our lives. And that that is um, inappropriate and incorrect, which is why we need people in Congress who are willing to negotiate. You are not going to get your way on everything. You're just not. But if you could get 80% of what you want or 70% of what you want, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing it? For many reasons. I I couldn't and didn't obviously vote for Hillary. But for her to come out and even in one of her many lies say that she could relate to the common person. There, You know, I can take a billionaire, Trump, and say he can relate more to the common person than Hillary ever could, in my opinion. No, I don't, and, that's true. I don't think either one of them can relate to the common person. But, but. but we, we have the same 
thing in Congress. Oh, I agree. You know, well, now you there there are congressmen got, that are very humble, um, that are uh, kind, that get it. But David, they are few and far between. Oh, and and they are every, few and far every time you elect that person for another two years yeah. or six years, they get that much further I, away from the. I, I, I agree, which is why we need term limits. But yeah. uh, I, 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 this idea of FAQs remains a problem. And I have pondered over the years, you know, what is the best way to address? It? I mean, I think you have to sue them. Actually, say, look, this is an e- this is an e- Who this do you is sue? well, you sue the agency over a breach of the APA. You you know, you you did not follow the rulemaking process, um, and therefore this FAQ has no bearing. Now, you don't want to sue the FAQ. You don't want to sue the agency if it's a good FAQ, right? If it's in your favor, you don't want to sue, right? But if it's not your favor, like is it, if there's a rule, I mean, a lot of times, and the agency DHS has been sued. Over improper rulemaking uh, by several different outside groups, that, but not immigration lawyers, uh, because some of that rulemaking is good for us. But some of it is just bad. And I think overall it's a bad policy to allow that to happen. I mean, I think Congress needs to pass a law that says you can't have FAQs. If, if you're going to adopt a policy position, you must go through the rulemaking process. I think the APA already says that, um, but I, clearly they don't agree with that. Now, David, I want to get more to this Obama legacy where by, by Friday at noon, he will have deported around 2.8 million people. Now, he has slowed down in the last two years, and he's only deported like 250 a year the last couple of years. Now, that happened because they changed their enforcement priorities, which we've talked about on the show before, uh, to only be those people who have deport order, who came after 2014 with deport orders, who have felonies or have serious misdemeanors. All right, So they're still deporting moms and dads that have no crimes that were arrested for driving while Hispanic, but they're, other than that, I mean, those are a lot fewer than they used to be. That was the majority of who they deported before. But Obama is not going to go down as a friend to immigrants. Uh, he is not someone, and what's funny, David, is that Trump recognized that in Obama. And he even said Obama is known as the deporter-in-chief. He has deported more people than anybody. Trump said, Trump recognizes this. Uh, much to the dismay of Republicans who want to paint Obama as light on enforcement. Um, but Trump's focus, oddly enough, David, is not really necessarily on enforcement, but rather on deterrence, in that uh, he wants to deter people from coming in by building the wall. Now, David, I heard something very interesting just, just this morning. How is Trump going to get that wall built? Well, of course, he said, we're going to pay for it and we'll get reimbursed from Mexico later. But since the wall is going to cost $38 billion, and since the budget committees in the House are controlled by fiscal hawks who will not go into further debt, where are you going to get $38 billion? Where's that coming from? You I can't. You're loaning it. China will loan it to us. But oh. these, are, these are fiscal hawks who say, no, 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 no. You've got to come up with a place to get this money from. Where are you going to get it from? $38 billion at a minimum to build this wall. Um, I, David, it's, the deterrence factor would be better served by changes in our laws rather than building walls that don't work. Now, should there be fencing? Of course, there's no, nobody's going to argue that you should fencing or walls. But building a giant 35-foot wall across 2,000 miles of border doesn't make any economic sense and doesn't necessarily deter people that you want to deter coming in. Whereas if you had effective interior enforcement 
and laws that let the right people come at the right time and discouraged illegal immigration in a way that was tr- that was m- punitive and known, then you could have virtually zero illegal immigration in combination with fencing and walls and deterrence. But if you just want to build a wall, then it's going to solve the problems. That's not going to help. And Obama's proved that. Um, I mean, illegal immigration has, has dropped dramatically while Obama's been president. Part of that, of course, is the economy. But part of it is that it's much harder to get in. The Border Patrol has done a much better job of catching people, of deterring people. Um, and this idea that we've had surges in the last couple of years, while true in regards to women and children, they're nothing that we haven't seen before and certainly nothing we can't handle as a country. It's pretty minimal in the grand scope of things of 70,000 people coming in over the course of a year. 70,000 people. It's not nothing in a country of 320 million people cannot handle and deal with. And many of them will ultimately be deported from the United States anyway. Um, and then you look at the other failures of the Obama administration on immigration. Um, it is really only in the last 60 days, David, that the Obama administration has published rules, regulations, affecting positive change in immigration. For example, things related to the period of stay before and after a visa is valid, the ability to get work permits in certain situations, uh, the ability to be uh, to transfer between jobs. All of those regs could have been issued eight years ago. But no, they were issued this month. Really, that is a failure of leadership. Obama has been nothing if not a failed leader in the context of immigration law. Wildly disappointing, um, terribly organized, poorly run, and magnificently poorly led. And it's, it's, it breaks my heart because it has affected millions of people negatively and has helped very, very few. The DACA program is great, David, but doesn't exist because Obama's a smart guy or because he had a great idea. It exists because, because kids forced him to do it. Didn't exist because he thought it was going to happen in his administration. So yeah, that's a great program. He gets no credit for that. None. And he shouldn't. He should get zero credit for that. Because he didn't do squat to make it happen other than, other than, other than listen to people, his campaign guys saying, you got to do something, Barack, because they're going to shut your office down. And that, and that, of course, that, that got him reelected because he got the Latino vote behind him. He was headed to a possible defeat against, against Romney with Latinos. If Romney had run a smarter campaign, and said, here's what I'm going to do on immigration. Forget this deporter-in-chief stuff. Here's what I'm going to do. He could have swung another, another couple million votes for Latinos, and he'd have won the election. But he ran a stupid campaign. Uh, and so Obama ran the smart campaign, but didn't do it for anything other than remaining in power and nothing more. Uh, remarkable. So, that, I mean, that's kind of my review of the Obama years. Uh, they are, not, if nothing but a wild disappointment on immigration. A wild disappointment. And get this, David, of course, because these regulations that are going to affect literally today, they can be overturned by an act of Congress. In fact, there's a bill pending in Congress to overturn any regulation enacted since the the election. Virtually every other presidency in transition has said no new regs, no new regs during the transition process. You remember that. That is what Bush did. It's what Clinton did. It's what Bush did. It's what Reagan did. They didn't pass regs during the transition process because it's a courtesy, right? Not Obama. We're going to jam these regs through because we're incompetent. Incompetent leaders, incompetent system. Uh, and it's just, am I, I sound angry? I sound angry, don't I? 
a little bit angry. I sound a little bit angry. Uh, let's take an angry break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. We'll be right back. Soy Charles Cook, abogado y jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Llámenos hoy si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, si ha sido arrestado, si se casó con un ciudadano, o tiene una oferta de trabajo. Nosotros le podemos ayudar. También podemos explicar cómo, qué puedes hacer para recibir los beneficios de inmigración. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, 404-816-8611, o visítenos por el Internet al www.immigration.net. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. So, David, let's let's spend this last segment talking about uh, the president-elect, uh, who will be president, um, uh, 49 hours and 15 minutes from now, uh, or 20 minutes from now. I think it's 12.05. What time does your from... plane leave? I understand you're leading the march up there to, to be... Yeah, that'll be me be in the front row. Actually, David, I am leaving the United States to, on Thursday. Um <laughs> Not because of the inauguration. In fact, when I agreed to go to this conference, I just didn't put two and two together. But actually, it's an immigration lawyer conference outside the United States in one of the islands in the Caribbean. <laughs> Every year they do a midwinter conference to let the northerners escape from the cold. I don't need to escape from the cold. It'll be 70 degrees here again today, and I can go swimming in my pool. Uh, but we'll go down to the beach and, and, and just do this. But... Um, I will be out of the country for the inauguration, but uh, it was funny, on, on this uh, uh, organization I belong to, there are some Republicans uh, that are part of it, and uh, like me, and one of them uh, asked this question and said, and I did, I just think this is hilariously funny, the response, uh, hey, is there going to be a watch party for the inauguration? And one of the more liberal members of the group said, um, well, while your room may be big enough, uh, I hear the Russian embassy is having a watch party, you might want to go there. That's just funny, okay? Sarcasm is funny. Uh, I do recommend um, um, uh, going to the uh, um, uh, SNL website and watching Saturday Night Live's uh, press uh, take on the press conference of, 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 of Trump. Because, David, sarcasm and, and, and political satire is meant to be funny. Uh, and I, it is funny. I think... Uh, you got to learn to laugh wish, at yourself, wish, man. So I wish I was really a historian because I love... History. Me too. I'm a history, history think, major, in fact. I think, uh, well, I'm not the major of all. No, I'm just teasing. Um, but I think some of the funniest things, and I love them. I love them. Um, the cartoons of, of uh, when Abraham Lincoln. Oh, my gosh. Those are, yeah. the, you the think they're cartoons. bad today. Those things are brutal. I loved them, though. Oh, they are, they're they're wonderful satire. They're yeah. just wonderful satire. I can remember the ones... 
of Adelaide Stevens' head that was about this big running against Eisenhower, just, you know? Political satire has been around a long time, and i just never seen somebody react to it in a way the, the way Trump reacts. So he literally does not tolerate being made fun of. He can't – I mean, his, thin, his skin is so thick. I mean, I'll give it to Obama. I mean, he doesn't retaliate publicly too often against satire. Um, but uh, Trump is like – and he's going to keep his Twitter account because he's got something like 40 million followers or some crazy thing like yeah. that, many more than the POTUS account has. Yeah. Um, so – but I, I, there was this article, David, I was reading today uh, about, uh, about Trump, and it's this. It's from a guy named uh, Peter Rosemonnier uh, from the Valley News. I first heard Donald Trump refer to immigrants roughly a decade ago when there was a chance of immigration reform. To a talk radio host, he said, quote, somebody has to take care of our golf courses, <laughs> close quote, okay? Um, now, today, Trump vows to get rid of 2 to 3 million unauthorized residents with criminal records, and we know, of course, there aren't 2 to 3 million undocumented immigrants with criminal records. There's maybe 800,000, and that's if you include minor misdemeanors. Okay, and maybe even if you include uh, uh, traffic violations and DUIs, um, he says he also promises to nullify the DHS memo on uh, DACA, um, ending the DAPA memo, which was not in effect anyway, um, and to uh, build a wall. Okay, that's what uh, um, that's what his, that's what his policy is. Um, now, the thing about this is immigration law is wildly complex. Uh, immigration touches border control, federal-state interaction, employers, employer practices, job gains and losses, diversity, social cohesion in America, and fairness. I mean, immigration touches almost every – even if you think immigration is nothing to you, you are wrong because you like to eat. And if you like to eat, then you are the beneficiary of immigrants and immigration. One of my, fav- one of my favorite memes uh, or memes – what is that? I'm going to say it again. Is the Thanksgiving dinner with the family. Thank you, Jesus, for this food. And below there's a guy in the – Mexican guy in the fields, de nada. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, we are all the beneficiaries of of immigrant labor, both documented and undocumented, and to, to say that you're not is to lie. It's not is not open your eyes to reality. So, can we solve the illegal immigration problem? Yes, we can. We, we can solve it. You and I have spent entire shows talking about how to solve this because this is not rocket science. And if and if Trump wants to name me as his head of USCIS so I can fix these problems, I would be willing to take the pay cut and go ahead and do that. I'll call him later today. If I'm not in con, would you give him a call? I'll give him. I did go by the Trump Tower a couple weeks ago, but they wouldn't let me in. Nah. I didn't have an appointment. Actually, did you know that the Trump Tower is actually open public space? Mm-hmm. Anybody can walk in the lobby. I want, I want to add something to my my cynicism of the general public. Oh, David, come on. If you wanted to really get into an argument and a fight, 
I don't know if your wife sends you to the grocery store or not, or if you will even stoop so low as to go into a grocery store. D- David, I was there last night. I do all the shopping oh. in my family, so you picked the wrong guy on this one. Okay. I was in, and, and I, I, you know, I have, I'm very patient, and I don't have a temper to speak of, and I'll sit and listen. But I was in the store one day, many, this was many years ago, and the price of milk had gone up. From two thirty four, two dollars a gallon to like three fifty a gallon or something. something. Yeah, it was an issue at cows a couple of years ago. So. so there were two ladies there that were just ragging all over the farmer that was making so much. We got to do something about the farmers and the people that produce milk. And you know, it's just the, you know they're treating the cows wrong and they're they're getting rich off of us. And I listened to it for a while, and then I said, ladies. You, you know, you have no clue. You're so far out of it. It's not the farmer that's making the money. It's the middleman that's making bukus off of you. And if you want to sit and discuss and, and point fingers, then get your facts straight because you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And I walked away. I was probably shot a couple of times. <laughs> but, I mean, it's daggers a, in your back as you walked away. It's the same thing. You hit it. You go across, you go to the chicken department, and if you're standing there and you put your hand on a piece of chicken and you and you ask the guy next to you, you know, who really got this piece of chicken into that into this cooler? I have an idea. They have no idea. No, that that's the that's the labor, the immigrant labor up in Gainesville and down in South Georgia and Alabama, and Mississippi, that's doing that work, um, and. You know, the reality is, even the do- let's say we ended the DACA program tomorrow, David. That's 750,000 people who are working, for the most part. Almost a million jobs. Are they going to become empty tomorrow? Or Friday? Or Monday? Whenever he enacts it, if he takes it away? I mean, yeah, talk about job creation by eliminating legal jobs. I mean, that's going to have a lot of employers very unhappy, um, especially in the restaurant and service sector. And the banking sector, by the way, I know a lot of kids that have DACA that work in banks. Tellers. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's an entry-level job. Hard to get people to do that kind of job that you, you can trust, actually. Uh, but, David, there is just so much. Uh, the, the idea that every day our lives are impacted by immigrants, um, especially in areas like Why shouldn't like they live. be educated immigrants? Well, they should be educated immigrants. I mean, think about it. If you had a kid who, who did well enough in school in high school, which we have to provide for undocumented kids. And they want to go to college. Why wouldn't we let them? I mean, really, especially if they can work. If they're legally out of work, why wouldn't we get, why wouldn't we let them be a doctor? Why wouldn't we let them be a nurse? Why wouldn't we let them be an engineer? Why wouldn't we actively encourage that? Because we're stupid. It is stupid. It's just a stupid policy other than punishment. The only reason, the only explanation is punishment. Well, you know, at a certain point... But aren't we... Wait a second. We're giving it all to them. We give them housing. We give them medical. We, we give them... We give, we're gonna, you want them to... You want to give free education to them. <laughs> As you know, we don't give them anything. Undocumented people get nothing. And they pay taxes with nothing to return. Many of them are working... You know, not the DACA kids, but many people that are undocumented work on social security numbers that aren't theirs. They will never see that social security. It's never going to go back in their pocket. They all pay taxes. They all pay property. And what pays for our schools? 
property taxes. They all pay. Everybody pays property taxes. If you're physically alive and above ground, you pay property taxes. <coughs> and you pay it through your house. You pay it through your apartment. You pay. Everybody pays sales taxes. That means everybody on our roads. They undocumented immigrants help support our roads because they're buying gasoline to drive their cars. So this idea that people are being given stuff it's just not true. Nobody's given anything. Because David, here's the here's the counter to that, and really the extension of the argument is well, what you're saying is we're giving stuff to poor people. So poor people are sucking up our money. Poor people are going to school on me. Poor people are getting benefits from me. Well, that's true. Because poor people who are citizens get Medicare, get Medicaid, get WIC, get unemployment insurance. But undocumented immigrants get none of that. Not a single thing. Uh, And yet, they go to work every day. And I've got to tell you, David, they don't complain ever to anybody. I would love to see if if Trump decides to literally stop and start enforcing the law to its maximum. People that we just want to enforce the law. No, you don't. If you wanted the law enforced, you wouldn't have a plea bargain system in our courts. If you wanted the law enforced, you would want far more police officers roaming the streets. If you wanted the laws enforced, you would want far harsher punishments against people. You don't want the law enforced against everybody. You want the law enforced against people who aren't you. That's who you want the law enforced against. Every law, just because something's a law, doesn't make doesn't make it good. And David, I always go back to the speed limit. Yes, was it a good idea for Nixon to create the 55 mile an hour speed limit at the time in the middle of a, a crisis of oil? Maybe did it save some oil? Sure, but maybe not. But did it did it hurt America? Yes, in the long term, it hurt America. It was a bad law. We have lots of bad laws on the books. I mean, one bad law is why don't we, why don't we let restaurants sell alcohol on Sunday mornings before noon, but we let the Georgia Dome do it? Why? It's a stupid law. We have lots of stupid laws in the immigration field. Tons and tons of stupid laws that cause more illegal immigration than they do to stop illegal immigration. And if we could just just get rid of those laws and focus on what works for us, we could certainly do that. Uh, so, David, uh, I think next week um, we will find out uh, by Tuesday what uh, what Trump has done on immigration. We should have an interesting discussion on the impact of that. Uh, I pray it's nothing. I think he's going to act immediately. If, if Trump is going to take away DACA and DAPA, he is going to do it immediately. I mean, his he David, you have to know who is surrounding him. He has lead anti-immigration people. Some of the some of the cunningest minds in the anti legal immigration field working for him. Trust me, David. They've got memos written for his signature. All right, that'll be it for this week. We'll come back next week after the inauguration when when Barack Hussein Obama is no longer our president and no longer carries the blame for everything and see where Mr. 39% approval rating will be as far as working on immigration. Do you think uh, you think Trump's going to blame for the next six or eight years Obama for everything? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Trump, Obama did a great job. With, Obama stopped blaming Bush about year seven. Until next week, this is the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee